We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Federation's podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Pat. Jason, what's going on? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm great. Uh, great, you know, being a relative term, considering we're both pretty big Chicago Bulls fans. The Bulls falling to 3-9 and nine on late Wednesday night to New Orleans, 107-98. Uh, it was a game that the Bulls were within six points late. I felt like the Bulls put together a nice little rally there late in the fourth quarter on a night where Zach Levine had one of his worst games of the season, finishes with 22 points, but on only 9-26 shooting. Uh, it was a game where Jabari Parker actually turned in one of his better performances uh, of the young season. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. So, uh, you know, Jason, it's been a while since we've yes. uh, since we've done an episode. Last time we talked Bulls, it was after the Warriors game on October 29th when Clay hung 52. So there's been uh, quite a few games since then. I thought we'd start this off just by going over them real quick. Uh, since our last podcast, we had the Halloween game against Denver. I was there. Yeah. Great game, 108-107. Denver winning overtime. Bulls lose on a Paul Millsap tipping. But uh, that was really the coming out party for Wendell Carter Jr. And that was a trend that sort of continued uh, in the games that have happened since. Uh, you know, being in the stands that night, I just felt like that was that was a perfect result all the way around. It's like the Bulls fought hard after getting flattened by Golden State. They came out and finally showed a little bit of fight. Uh, and in terms of the long-term good of the franchise, getting that loss was kind of nice, too, at the end of the game, uh, just to help our Zion chances, you know, man? Yeah, the Wendell was awesome. I didn't watch, see all of that game, but I recently watched, re-watched the first half of it, and just, like, right from the start of the game, Wendell just, like, popped. He just the, His aggressiveness going to the basket, I think he took something like nine or ten shots in the first quarter. Wasn't making them all, but... Just really aggressive going at Nicole Jokic, shoot superstar center. Uh, Wendell basically played him to a draw, or you can even say he outplayed him. He had 25, 8, 5, 3, and 3, just ridiculous numbers. He hit a couple three-pointers as well, and he made and he made Jokic's life pretty miserable for um, an offense. I know Jokic had a bunch of turnovers with Wendell just playing him really hard defensively. So that was, yeah, the Wendell Carter breakout breakout game. We're going to talk a lot about Wendell Carter on this podcast. I think this is hopefully going to be a lot of just Wendell Carter Jr. love. He's been awesome. But yeah, that was that was a really nice game to see, just, especially after getting their ass beat by the Warriors. Just Fred kind of reamed him out, and just when you lose his, in historic, just epic fashion like that, to come out, the Nuggets are they're something like 10-1, and one, or 9-1, and one, something like that at this point. To come out and play a game like that, pretty good. And then to lose the last second, where it's almost like whatever. Because like you said, uh... If you're on the whole tank thing, I'm like I'm like going back and forth on that. We'll talk about that a bit later when we talk about you mentioned Zion Williamson, but yeah, that was that was a pretty fun game to watch of what I did see, especially with Wendell just really killing it. Uh, Friday night, two days later, the Bulls lost to Indianapolis to Indiana Pacers, 107-105. After that, they had a game against the Rockets on Saturday, a rare Rockets win. They beat the Bulls 96-88. Bulls had a What's it was up? a really pretty ugly Bulls game. I was at a wedding for that one. I didn't see it, but I was checking my phone. And uh, I think the Bulls were actually winning at halftime or, like, down by two points. Or they were – yeah, they're okay. They were up by two points. I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty pretty interesting. And then I checked my phone later, a little bit later, and I got a chance. And I saw that they were down by, like, 12. Because they had a seven-point third quarter. So that's, that's always a lot of fun. 
oh my god, seven point third quarter. I didn't even see that. I was on vacation uh, while that game was going on, but I heard Stacy King talk today about how the Bulls needed to avoid their one bad quarter. And well, when they're hanging seven points in the third quarter against Houston, you can see yeah. where that comes from. Uh, the Bulls did pick up a win two nights later against the Knicks, probably one of the most memorable games of the season, a double overtime win for the Bulls, 116-115. Zach Levine, the star of that game, he finishes the night with 41 points on 13-25 yeah. shooting. Some clutch daggers there at the end, but also just a general clown show at the end. Yeah, too. oh, yeah. My God, it just the turnovers. For everybody that remembers Daquan Cook, Ohio State guy who was on the Bulls for maybe one season, I think, I believe – Multiple times over the course of his bull, his short legendary Bulls tenure, he was known for stepping out of bounds for no reason. That happened, I think, like three or four times. I think both teams did it in these overtime periods. Just ball going all over the place, teams stepping out of bounds, Cameron Payne doing stupid shit. It, it was just a complete clown show. The, both teams are undermanned. Both teams look like they're pro- probably heading for the lottery. The, the Knicks, did, they got Kevin Knox back, but they were still missing Tim Hardaway Jr. They're obviously also missing... Chris Epps, Porzingis was an ACL injury. So basically this game was like Alonzo Trier, undrafted guy out of Arizona, correct? Correct. Right? And then Zach Levine going kind of back and forth. And the Bulls finally got pulled out the win in double overtime because Emmanuel Moutier committed a dumb shit foul on Levine driving the basket when he could, when he probably wasn't even going to shot off. We were probably heading for triple overtime, but Moutier committed a dumb foul, the latest in the line of dumb stuff he's done in his terrible NBA career, and the Bulls <laughs> pulled that one out. Tell us how you really feel, Jason. Uh, Emmanuel Moutier has been really – I really have nothing against Emmanuel Moutier, but he's just been a really bad NBA player. Yeah, he's not lived up to all the hype he definitely had as a recruit yeah. in the draft that year uh, when he was uh, entering out of China. It's been kind of a bummer to watch for Moutier. But that brings us to tonight, uh, the Bulls falling to New Orleans. Uh, once again, the, the story of the game, Wendell Carter Jr., the line – Super solid, 17 points, 11 rebounds, three blocks. Uh, I feel like it doesn't even capture his full impact, though. I mean, he was going toe-to-toe with Anthony Davis. We saw him take him on on both ends of the court. He swatted Davis for one of those three blocks. There was another possession in the first half, I believe, where he uh, drove right at him down the baseline and just kind of rammed his shoulder into him, scored two points. Uh, Carter was all over the floor on both ends, and the thing that really jumps out about him is – just the way that he plays like a 10-year veteran already. Yeah, just really, really smart player. Just so, like I said, no fear going at Davis. That, that, play, that play you just mentioned, just love that he caught the ball, corner three. Davis closed out on him. Carter just drove right into him, finished through contact and the foul. It's just, just really great to see. And I think, and I think Carter might have actually blocked Davis twice. I know he blocked, he blocked Davis definitely once, Randall once. I think he might have gotten Davis another time. And just in general, like, even from the very beginning, Davis got off to a slow start. He ended up with a huge stat line. It was like 32-15-7. But in the first quarter, Carter was sticking with him on at, at, at everything. He was challenging all his shots. It wasn't until Felicio, Cristiano Felicio, came in where Davis really started to get cooking and started to get going. That's kind of when the Pelicans started to open the game up a bit because Felicio just couldn't do anything against him. Just not, not no match for Anthony Davis. While Wendell, Wendell Carter Jr., strong, smart, just... Could, he just knows where to be, and just he's been just so impressive after a kind of a sluggish start to his career. He's faced some really tough matchups already in his career, and, he's, and as we go along, he's just getting better and better already. So it's really, really awesome to see so far. Yeah, over his last ten games, Wendell Carter Jr. is averaging fifteen points, ten rebounds, two and a half blocks. Uh, the line he put up tonight with seventeen, eleven, and three. He joins Anthony Davis and Carl Towns as the only teenagers to post that stat line. So you know. Sometimes I feel like those stats can be a bit misleading because if you massage the statistics enough, they can basically tell whatever story you want it to tell. But uh, there's no doubt that Wendell Carter is immediately one of the best players on this Bulls team this year. And I just think he's got such a bright future. This is truly one of the few things John Paxson and Gar Foreman in this front office have done well is draft Wendell Carter because uh, he's going to be the center here for a long time. And that was just a really great draft pick. Yeah, Really excited for Lowry to come back and just to see those guys working together because I feel like they should be able to work really well. Just both guys can spread the floor, but we've seen Wendell start to shoot a few more threes. He made a, made a, another really nice one, nice one today, and his passing is also huge. He had no assists today, but there have been a few games. The work he's done in like the high post, I, I think it was the Pacers game where he ended up with like four or five assists, and they were going to him over and over, just running the offense through him a bit, and he was making the right pass. 
doing doing a lot of good stuff. Just his bounce passes are smart. He's on the money. Like he just really this is and this is kind of what we talked about when they drafted him. While he might not be outstanding or like superstar and like maybe at great elite in any one thing, he does so many things so well. And we're seeing that between his jump shooting, between his aggressiveness around the basket, between his his defense has been a bit better than expected, and his passing and all that stuff. Just just a really smart, well-rounded player. And I think the Bulls fans should be really excited about him and about Lowry playing together as a long-term frontcourt pairing. Yeah, you were talking about his passing uh, in some of the games earlier this week. Well, he had five assists in that Denver game, six assists against Indiana. So that was, the pace uh, was what I was thinking of. He had like four or five in a row, I feel like, at one point. In the, I think it was like the third quarter when the Bulls were kind of hanging around. They were running a lot of offense through him. It was really nice to see. Yeah, so I think it, the Bulls definitely have a keeper there. But Jokic was uh, putting some pretty heavy praise on him too, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, and I, you know, he got uh, fined for it. He, well, well yeah, something? well, I saw that part. I wasn't going to bring up that part. But I yeah. feel like I also read a quote where Jokic was praising him. Here's one I found, Zach Levine uh, on Wendell versus Jokic. They're going to be battling each other as a top big, top big dudes in the league one day. That is now the official name of a center, a big dude. Big dude. We're eight games in now. I want to see what he looks like at 80 games. It's going to be nice. So, uh, you know, Wendell's just getting rave reviews from everyone. I feel like Hoiberg really established that by starting him from day one when, you know, everyone thought that Rolo was going to be the starter heading into the year. Uh, It just turned into the fact that Carter was immediately better. Like, Hoiberg's not playing this thing for the long term. You know what I mean? Hoiberg doesn't know if he's going to be around next year, let alone – two, three years from now when Carter really starts coming into his own. But from day one at only 19 years old, Carter was clearly the more productive player than Rolo. I credit Hoiberg for recognizing that right away. Uh, and after a little bit of a slow start uh, to his career, he didn't hit double figures in scoring until that Atlanta game on the 27th, which was his uh, sixth game, it looks like. Since then, he's been rolling. Yep. yep. Double figures in every game since. Yeah, and three straight double-doubles now and just, just make an Im- impact all over the floor. So it's great to see. It's awesome. One of the one of the few real bright spots of the team right now because obviously with so many guys hurt, and I guess since mentioned the injuries, uh, we did get a brief Lowry update today. I think John Paxson said he's still probably a couple weeks away and just starting to do some shooting and some, some more movement stuff. So they're still going to be a bit without without Lowry. There was another Denzel Valentine update. Apparently his ankle is not getting better. So he's in, he's out indefinitely now. So still with all these injuries and done and Portis are out for a while as well. Like Wendell's gonna have his chance to really to really break out and keep shouting like this. And so far, so far, so good. He also had the meme of the night tonight versus the Pelican. Yes, That'll play where Jabari Parker threw him a totally terrible alley oop. And then Parker blamed it on him. He immediately confronted him right after making a bad pass. Carter jumped for the pass, but it was way behind him. Uh, he couldn't get it, and Carter sort of, like, hit him on the head. The look Wendell gave him, I immediately screen-capped. It was just priceless. It was like, what the fuck are you He's talking like, about, what is this guy? Yeah, what is this guy doing? It was, it was terrible alley-oop, one of the worst alley-oops you'll ever see. I don't even know what Jabari could have even been saying to him. Like, I have no idea. And Wendell was just like, man, get get the hell out of here, dude. Like, what are you thinking? That was That was great. Definitely... Definitely a meme, meme-worthy play, a reaction. Yeah, like, Carter's just so, like, Carter's not one of these guys who's going to be, like, uh, he's not going to be, like, a, a meme team automatic inductee. He's just, like, quiet and focused. Yeah, kind of chill, yeah. Kind of a chill dude, but he's going to be someone who Bulls fans are going to love having around here just because he's going to be really good for a long time. I was thinking about this today. It's ridiculous to get so far ahead of ourselves on this, but, like, Carter just seems like the type of player who could be here much longer than the previous Bull Stars have been. Like, a lot of these guys have not gotten third contracts from the Bulls, right? Dang only got two contracts, right? Noah obviously only got two contracts. Rose got two contracts. Gibson got two contracts. Butler got two contracts. Is that correct? Uh, uh, Carter just seems like the type of guy who potentially could get a third contract just because, like, Unlike Noah, his game isn't so based on athleticism. Uh, he seems like someone who the front office is going to gravitate towards just because he sort of represents whatever vague notion of Bulls culture they have in mind. So I think Wendell Carter is really going to be He's also so time. young. I mean, by the time he'll be yeah. getting to a third contract, he'll be, what, right in his prime, 27, 28? So assuming, 
I mean, I guess who know who know? Yeah, who knows? You, we talk about getting ahead of ourselves. Who knows? Ten years from now, James. Yeah, who knows what the Bulls will look like? Like that, if he's as good as we hope, he's going to be signing long term, like four or five year deal. And after that, who knows if he'll want to stick around? But like, if if he's really good and he'll be, like I said, basically in his prime uh, when he's getting for that third contract. And uh, I mean, hopefully, let's let's really hope because it's like I said, we haven't had somebody really stick around and been been uh, around like that long and for a while like i said like da- taj noah and dang were all around for a long time but uh if we can get a guy to stay here for almost his entire career that'd be that'd be pretty great yeah so that's how i'm ending the wendell carter segment of the podcast right now i predict wendell carter signs a third contract with the bulls Ooh, there you go how immediately impressive that's he's been to me so far yeah. i like it. i like it. uh so carter has really been the one bright spot but we should talk about Levine as well. Levine, yeah. n- not his best game tonight, like we said, 22 points on 26 shots. But in general, he's been a super efficient scorer. Uh, and, you know, at this point, it's getting pretty hard to knock him. I have the uh, the true shooting percentage leaders for guards entering in tonight, uh, entering tonight up. 60% true shooting a, percentage. With a usage of, like, 33. That's, I mean, that's elite, exactly. elite stuff. Like, when you're... I mean, 60% in general is very good. When you're doing it on that kind of usage with the amount of shots he takes and the amount of – and the amount of uh, – with all these other guys out, the amount of pressure he's getting from defense. He's been seeing more double teams lately and all and all that kind of stuff. To have a 60% true shooting percentage is absolutely terrific. Obviously, that's coming down a bit with what happened tonight. I didn't even think he played that poorly tonight. Uh, Davis blocked a few of his shots at the rim. I think there were other, a few other times where – I thought he he possibly could have gotten some foul calls on him around the basket, especially there were a couple of drives late. It looked like he got he drew some contact when he missed. I know he tried to throw down a ridiculous dunk that he almost did. It looked like he might have gotten fouled, but he just, that kind of added to his poor shooting totals. But overall, I was tweeting about this the other day as well. Just kind of his his shot selection has been very solid. He's been shooting ton of threes and he hasn't been shooting that well from three but he's been shooting a lot of threes he's been shooting something like i think it was like 40 some percent of his shots at the rim or in the restricted area so it was something like i think three quarters of his shots coming into tonight were either uh three pointers or like in the paint or it was was something crazy like that basically he's not taking that many of those crazy bad long twos i know he took a few today but and i know he does take he sometimes uh defaults to those in crunch time, which I think is just kind of like a general of a lot of NBA players at the end of games when games slow down, they end up taking a lot of long twos. But in general, like his shot selection, his shot profile has been really nice and, and he's been getting to the line a ton and that's been, re- and that's really helped his efficiency. Yeah, for sure. To put some of those numbers in perspective, Levine is the third highest usage rate in the yep. entire league. Only Giannis and Russell Westbrook are higher than his 33% true shooting percentage or 33% usage rate. I should say, you look at the true shooting percentage, and that's up there, too, among the leaders uh, in guards, at least, at 60%. And there's some names on that list. Uh, now I just exited out my filter. But uh, basically, like, he's been a more efficient scorer than, like, Kyrie Irving, than a lot of the league's, like, uh, more high-profile guards. And what's kind of funny is the guy who was right next to him on that ranking coming into tonight uh, Antonio Blakeney. Blakeney is a 60%, 60.6 true shooting percentage. Levine is at 60.2. And, uh, you know, some of the names those guys were ahead of entering tonight, Jimmy Butler, he's at 59. Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving. So uh, even Karis LeVert, who's had, you know, maybe an all-star caliber season for the Nets this year. He's been one of the breakout players in the league. It just shows that Levine, uh, for his, you know, for as imperfect of a, of a player as he is, it is getting hard to criticize him at this point, uh, just because he has been really good at what he's supposed to be. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, he's been really good at what he's supposed to be good at. So, I mean, good for Levine, right? Yeah. So yeah. Sorry, I was actually going to look up his Levine shot chart and uh, stupid highlights started playing NBA.com auto play. But yeah, he's. I mean, it's. I I don't know how lo- if he'll be able to keep up th- quite this efficiency all season. Especially if he's going to be at this usage, just long year, you wear down over the course of the year. But I mean, either way, like, I think so. So far, he's proven that he he can be a big time scorer. And hopefully, and I also tweeted about this the other day when when Dunn gets back, if he can stay healthy, when Lowry comes back, when there's some more weapons out there, just that'll open up the floor for a bit more. He won't have to do as much in terms of the playmaking. If we want, if you want to criticize him a little bit, 
he has been really sloppy with turnovers. His decision making still isn't still isn't quite the best. He, and he's I think turning the ball over around like four times a game. Didn't see much of that tonight against the Pelicans, but he's been a bit sloppy with that. But I feel like it's part of that is because the Bulls don't really have a, a legitimate point guard. They're playing campaign and Ryan Archidiakono and Archidiakono is trying his best and Payne has really fallen off since the campaign game. He's been pretty terrible. Like Levine has to do so much for this team in terms of ball handling, playmaking, and scoring. Like there's, he's going to have his issues, but as, as just a as a flat out scorer, he re- you really just can't complain about what he's been doing. I want to talk about Blakeney a little bit. Can we talk yeah, about Blakeney? I was just going to say, when you brought him up, like, I want to give shout-outs to Blakeney. He's, he's uh, I, think, I think, Matt, uh, or good guy, Bulls blogger. I don't think he's a fan of Blakeney because he's kind of taken over the uh, Bobby Portis, like, super hyped-up scoring dude off the bench. He comes in, shoots like crazy. He rarely passes. He got an assist today, and it was, like, shocking. But, like... He just gets buckets and then he goes wild. Like he's just going fucking nuts over like hitting a twenty foot jumper in the second quarter. It's honestly kind of hilarious. Sometimes it can be annoying, and I, which I understand. But like the guy just gets buckets, and that's literally like all he does. I love Blake, and he very much in the Lou Williams mold. Uh, he's had some really good games lately. Fifteen against yes. Denver at the game I was at on Halloween. Four of four from three point range in that game. The Bulls. That, that's not a close game without Blake, and he's instant offense off the bench. So. You know, that is something valuable. He had 22 against the Pacers. Uh, I believe that's a career high on Friday. Uh, 9 of 13 shooting in that game to finish with 22. And then he had 17 against the Knicks in the double overtime game. So, Blakeney, for those of you guys who don't know, he was always considered to be, like, a really good prospect. He was a five-star recruit coming out of high school in the class of 2015. He was ranked number 15 overall. He played – he he was from Orlando. He played uh, on the same AAU team with Ben Simmons. And uh, after initially committing to Louisville, he ended up decommitting and playing with Simmons on LSU. Simmons goes one and done. Blakeney stays for two years. Blakeney undrafted uh, out of college, but has uh, has carved out a nice little career for himself this year after being, uh, I think it was he G League Rookie of the Year with the Bulls? I, I believe he was. He put, up, he put up crazy G League numbers. And, and you want, I'll give the Bulls credit for, for picking him up and they signed him to an actual an NBA deal this year and he's and he was not good last year like he came in as a rookie and he basically did what he's doing now he's jacking up shots but he he was shooting sub 40 percent but this, so far this year like the efficiency has been great I, I that's probably going to come down a bit but he's been really good instant off and off the bench and they've with so many guys injured they've really needed it yeah, so Blakeney's been fun, but looking at these stats, man, uh, his assist percentage oh, right now... It's got to be historically low. <laughs> 3.8, which is just comical. I mean, I don't see one lower than that on uh, like on the leaderboard in terms of like the... Even the guys on the top of the true shooting percentage leaderboard, and holy shit, you know who's number one? On the true shooting percentage leaderboard for guards playing over 15 minutes a game... Tony Snell. Oh my god. Tony Snell doesn't 74% right now. He's only playing 16 minutes a game for the Bucks. Uh, and even he has a 5% assist wow. rate and uh Blakeney's at 3.8%. So, yeah, quite the company. Obviously he's a limited player. I don't know if he's going to I actually don't think he's going to be around uh when the Bulls get good, but I'm rooting for Blakeney. You know, yeah. he's fun to watch and especially in like these tank years, you need guys like that just to uh, have someone make you feel something once in a while. And he's he's good in that role as a scorer. Right. I mean, just like looking at his assist numbers, just like his game logs, he has, he had two assists in uh, the opener against against the Sixers, who he shot 16 times in 30 minutes. Since then, he's had, he's recorded assists in only four games, and that and that's only one assist in each game. So he has, Eight assists this season and whatever they played twelve games. And he's played in all twelve games, eight assists total. And he said like half of the games he doesn't even have an assist at all. Like in the, the Pacers game where he had a crazy four point play to tie the game towards the end of the game. He had twenty two points, nine of thirteen, like you said, zero assists. The next game, seventeen points, thirteen shots, zero assists. Like this guy literally just dribbles around and chucks shots. And you know what? Whatever. It's it can be kind of fun. Yeah, good for him. Uh, I also think we should talk about Jabari after this yes, game should. in particular because uh, Jabari, I mean, maybe his best game is a bold. Finishes with 20 points, 13 rebounds, 3 assists. 
7 of 14 shooting from the floor, 6 of 8 from the foul line. I thought he was in a groove early. He came down uh, down the court a couple times and like hit the Pelicans with one, two dribbles and quick jumpers from mid-range. Obviously, you know, not the ideal shot selection for Jabari He does Parker. love doing that. Like, he's a huge fan of, like, it was, and Hoiberg will have him bring the ball up a lot. He'll, he loves, like, just charging hard down the court into, like, a long two, which obviously is not ideal, but it seems like it's a shot that he's really comfortable with, and you just kind of hope that he's hitting it on certain nights, and, like, tonight tonight he was. And then huge getting to the free throw line eight times to really help with the efficiency numbers there tonight. Yeah, but, you know, for as good as those numbers look, like, when I'm watching this game, all I'm seeing on Twitter are is people shitting on Jabari. Oh, yeah. It even happened on the broadcast, too, one time specifically, when he failed to get back uh, down the other end of the court. It led to an easy Anthony Davis bucket. Stacey King slowed down this play and uh, basically reamed Jabari out. Jabari got reamed out by Hoiberg. After yeah, Hoiberg went. You never see Hoiberg get that upset. Hoiberg went, called timeout and went right to him and was demonstrative. Like, what are you doing, man? You got to get back. So, like, that's, like, the thing with Jabari. That's, like, he has pro- arguably one of his best games, at least production-wise, with the Bulls. And he still has these goofy-ass lowlights where he lollygagging back on defense. Hoiberg yells at him. The goofiness with Wendell we were talking about earlier. So it's just like, and like you mentioned on Twitter, I feel like so Bulls fans of outside of like C Red Fred and like a few other holdouts, like I feel like Bulls fans have really turned hard on Jabari Park. And I mean, it's been kind of warranted with this play on with this play on the court. And we also saw after the Rockets game uh, where the, I know the media was calling him out as well because I know he gave more. Been, it's been kind of a thing with him where he's been giving short answers to the media or he's blown them off entirely. It's been like he's blown them off three times. After the Warriors game, he was giving short answers after the Rockets game. And so there were multiple columns about Jabari and just how it's really just has not been working. Uh, and Cody Westerland from The Score called it basically it's, it's been like a disaster. Cody even like was counting uh, press conference answers from Jabari or like it was words, counting words because they've been so short. Joe Cowley took a hammer to him. I know Casey Johnson didn't really take a hammer to him, but basically just kind of said that the whole thing doesn't isn't really working. It's been feel, feeling kind of forced. And it just has been – it's been, been kind of tough. Like, Jabari has his moments, like today, where he scores pretty well, he rebounds pretty well, but it's like the whole package just has been really difficult to watch. And fans have been fed up with him because he's making $20 million this year, and media has been kind of fed up with him as well. So it's just been a really tough look for Jabari Parker so far this season. Who signed Jabari Parker is what I want to know. Was that John Paxson's decision? Was that Michael Reinsdorf's decision? Did that come from Gar somehow? Like, who advised them to sign Jabari Parker as a, the starting small forward, which was the idea coming into this year? The yeah, and now they like, won't even play him at small forward now. Like, because they just know it's like, it's not the thing to do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I've been seeing some people criticize Hoiberg lately, too. And it is easy to criticize Hoiberg, but like, to a certain extent, like, Hoiberg is not nearly as liable as the people who put together this roster. I don't think any coach could win with this roster. And the way he's handled the Parker situation, I think, you know, he had to put him in the starting lineup eventually, especially given, uh, yeah. you know, the current injury state of everyone on the team. But it's like, geez, man, you think Hoiberg wants to be throwing Justin Holiday out there for 42 minutes a night? Do you think he wants to be... Uh, you know, saddled with Parker and just his general uh, Inui in terms of how he approaches the game. Of course not, man. This is so far beyond his control. Did you read Cowley's column about Parker? No, I didn't. It it was pretty harsh. Like I said, Cody's was like that night after the Rockets game was was counting word stuff and stuff like that. But Cowley wrote one, I think, the the next day, and he called him 245 pounds of mope. And it was just like, oh, man, that's – it's – it's so brutal to read, but it's been kind of right, and it's it's kind of brutal. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's like, I mean, he said, I, I mentioned this. I wrote a quick thing just kind of reacting to everything with the media turning on him and the fans kind of turning on him, just his general play. Like, And you've talked about this before. We've talked about this before. Like, Jabari is a Chicago guy. He does so much for the city, and, I mean, and you want to root for him. It's, it's just been hard to root for him. It, it almost like it kind of feels like that, he just cares way more about the other stuff and like helping the city and helping people, which is like is great. Like in the big in the grand scheme of things, like that's awesome. Like that's that's so awesome. He should be lauded for that kind of stuff. But like when he you're getting paid whatever 20, 20 million a year, you're also going to be judged 
harshly and to a high bar on the basketball court. And there's just too many times where it looks like he just doesn't give a fuck at all. And that's going to, and that's going to make, and and then you toss in the press conference stuff. And like, while that can be kind of overblown and talking to the media can be overblown. Like when you put the two together, not giving a fuck on the court, not giving a fuck off the court, talking to the media, it's just a bad package. And it's going to get, it's going to have fans turn on you. And so far that's kind of what's happened. He has the talent to be a, a serviceable player in the league, there's no doubt about yeah, that. Absolutely. He has such not- a shitty attitude, man. Like yeah. I think that his attitude is just so far worse than what people used to criticize D Rose for. Like Parker, first of all, just not showing up in shape. I feel like it's totally unredeemed it's totally unforgivable. Like you, no matter what level of basketball you play, even if you're just playing pickup ball with your friends, you know that if you're out of shape, you're gonna get run off the floor against yeah. whatever level of competition it is. Especially in the NBA, when you're making twenty million dollars a year, it's like, come on, Jabari, take a little bit of pride in yourself. Uh, in that, you know, coming into camp in such poor condition, I think just set this ball rolling, and you know, maybe Shaq could play himself into shape uh, as the season went along, but. Not someone in Jabari Barker's position who's trying to just salvage himself from going down as a huge draft bust as the former number two overall pick. Yeah, even I think Paxson recently hinted that, like, yeah, I, let I'm me sure find, I saw that. Yeah, let me find the. I can't remember where I saw the quote, but I think we, I think we had a post on it, bloggable, where Paxson kind of hinted that he was disappointed in Parker, like his, the shape that he was in coming into camp. So, and that that's just that, like you said, that is just unacceptable. Like you, you get a huge contract. The Bulls are expecting big things out of you, and to come in the whatever camp like out of shape, or whatever like that's just, that just can't happen. That's just just really a terrible look. Yeah. So you know, in terms of uh, what's been happening in the the world of the Bulls over the last few over the last week, Wendell Carter really good. Zach Levine still mostly good. Jabari Parker very bad, and, and uh, it know, also that, that's sort of where we're at at three and nine at this point in the season. Right? Also, since before the beginning of the year, we talked about campaign as one of the worst players we've ever seen. He then followed it up with like two of his best games ever and probably his best game ever. Uh, maybe we have to talk about him being completely shitty again because he has been absolutely awful since that magical game where he hit seven three-pointers. Uh, let me pull up the numbers here. He has not hit a three in the last three games, 0 for his last eight. On the season, he has made... Uh, so he didn't hit a three before the campaign game where he hit seven, went seven for 11 from three. Since that game, he has hit five three-pointers. So he's down under like around like 30% from three now. And he's literally hit seven out of tw- his 12 three-pointers a season in one game. And the team has been getting absolutely smoked with him on the floor. Tonight's game, he started out like throwing up a bunch of goofy-ass shots at the basket. Like, so like I was I was ready to try to get on the campaign train and be like, hey, maybe this guy's a decent player, competent NBA player. He can be an all right backup. He's obviously not a starter. But since that huge game he's had, he has basically reverted back to the Marcus Teague, Michael Carter Williams levels that that we uh, that we were ripping on him before. And it's and it's been re- it's just really it's just a huge just the loss of Chris Dunn. We don't even know how good Chris Dunn is, but just the lack of point guard play. It's just so obvious sometimes when the Bulls just go through some. Just really ugly stretches of offense, and if Levine's not shooting well, doesn't have a good game, it can get get really bad. It is kind of amazing that they have three wins at this point in the season. They're three and nine with all the injuries and with campaign basically being you know your starting point guard. So uh, I wonder like how what would their record be if Markinen was healthy and if Dunn was healthy the whole year and Portis and Valentine like. Do they have one more win, two more wins, three more wins? It's it's a question that's really difficult to answer. But uh, when you start assessing, you know, where they can finish in the in the tank race and what they're going to look like once those guys get back healthy, uh, it, it just makes you think because you know th- there are a handful of teams in the standings right now already worse than the Bulls. If the, if the season ended today, the Bulls would have like the fifth or sixth pick. Phoenix only has two wins. Cleveland has one win. Uh, Washington has two wins, and then the Bulls are tied with. The Hawks uh, and the Mavericks. Yeah, the Mavs lost it. Yeah, I, 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 I've been thinking where, we'll, and this will uh, uh, segue into our next kind of, or next topic very easily in terms of the tanks up and Duke players. But uh, yeah, I think I think the Bulls, if if they do get healthy, I think they're going to end up more kind of where they were last year, or maybe or more as like a maybe like a ten or eleven seed in the East, possibly because I feel like. There, some of these teams, I mean, the Cavs 
are absolutely a joke. They're terrible. They're probably going to be the worst team in the league. Like the Bulls beat the Hawks. The Hawks are bad. They beat the Knicks by one. I mean, that game was kind of a toss, but they're bad, and they're not going to be any better with Porzingis. I, I don't even know if they'll bring back Porzingis this year. The Mavericks, I feel like, should be a little better, but the the, Ma- the Mavericks, I think, will finish ahead of the Bulls. The Wizards, I still think, will finish ahead of the Bulls. But the but team, they're fucking trash. Like, they're trash. Yeah, they're they real, just, I mean, they're a fucking joke. Like they could trade Beal, Wall, Porter, any of those guys, and just push the reset button. And if I was a Wizards fan, that's what I would want at this point. Yeah. And I, I think the Suns will probably. The Suns are awful too. Like they Booker's good. Aiden has been a beast so far. But like the. I'm not really. I was looking at a box score there yesterday, and it was really con- like they're playing Ryan Anderson 20 minutes a game to do absolutely nothing. Bender doesn't play. Josh Jackson was like the fourth pick last year. He played like seven minutes yesterday. There, I think they're going to finish worse. So like I'm, I'm thinking the Bulls if they get healthy, that they can be a pretty decent team with Levine, Wendell, Markinen. Even if they're and and if Dunn comes back too, like I think they're going to be all right and they can be better than. I like. I'm like the Magic are awful. The Magic are somehow four and seven, but they're bad too. Like. I could see the Bulls getting like the 10 seed, even like not winning a ton of games, but like I just have no faith in some of these bad East teams. So you, just look at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, and it's completely trash. And this is going to be a year where there's going to be shameless tanking because right. because uh, because I was at the Champions Classic last night in Indianapolis, Duke versus Kentucky, Kansas versus Michigan State. I mean, Duke is the story of the night. There's no question about that. They put on. One of the most impressive performances you will ever see from a college basketball team. That is not entered the game as a one point underdog to Kentucky. This Kentucky team was picked by a panel of ESPN experts. A bunch of people, you know, gave their national championship predictions uh, before the season. Kentucky was the most common answer. They had 10 different ESPN people pick them to win it all. They started the year number two in the polls. They were a veteran team. This is a veteran Kentucky team. Uh, Doesn't really fit the mold of your what you typically think about. Uh, for a Kentucky squad under John Calipari, they added a really good grad transfer senior named Reed Travis, who's a big points and rebounds guy who doesn't really fit the the modern, you know, the modern NBA just because he doesn't block shots, he doesn't stretch the floor. But in the college game, he can still be a really useful player. They still have uh, Kelton Johnson, who's going to be a top ten draft pick most likely. Like basically everyone who is really into college basketball thought this Kentucky team was probably the best team going into the year and Duke just whooped their ass by 34 points. And it was because Duke has potentially the first three picks in the NBA draft this year, RJ Barrett, Zion Williamson, and Cam Reddish, all of them terrific. They combined for 83 points against Kentucky. Kentucky finished with 84 and they had, you know what? 83 of Duke's 118 last night. Uh, each of them would be a terrific fit for the Bulls. They're all exactly the type of player the Bulls need. And, you know, the only other player that could sort of break up them going one, two, three is Nazir Little from North Carolina. He actually started their first game last night coming off the bench for them uh, and they went over Wofford. So that'll be something to monitor, too. But, uh, you know, to me, watching this high school class doing the recruiting beat uh, for SB Nation and then, uh, you know, watching a little bit in the in the run up to this college basketball season, I think this is a really top-heavy class, and it's the three Duke kids, and it's the little, and then after that, it's not very deep. Uh, I think that Williamson is a huge prize right now. I would put Williamson as the number one overall pick. I think that all three of these guys are really good, though. Barrett is terrific. I think Cam Reddish is also just wonderful as well. So, uh, you know, the Bulls really need a top four pick in this draft in the worst way, and I would love if they could get top two, because if they could get Barrett or Williamson, that would be the type of thing that really could change the trajectory uh, of the franchise. Yeah, because we, like said, we've talked about this before. Like, we got, get, they got the front court, it seems like, set. And then Levine, if he's whatever, elite scorer, even if he doesn't do that much else, as like a number of, whatever, three option, or like third best player maybe, third or fourth best player, if they can get, if they need a bona fide small forward, like R.J. Barrett said, I mean, I mean, and Zion is just like, seems just like a complete, like, freak alien. He can... You put him in anywhere you want, and he'll do whatever. I mean, the stuff he was doing yesterday at his size and his just the athleticism and his strength. The guy's an absolute freak. He's hitting hitting jumpers, taking guys off the dribble and dunking on heads. Like the guy's out of his fucking mind. Just like an absolute ridiculous specimen of a prospect. So like, I mean, you would have no problem playing with three, right? As a full time small forward. Yeah, I mean, you just do it and you figure it out. Like, yeah, that's that's what I figured. It's like picking the draft. 
Uh, and you know, so like the physicality is obviously what what jumps out about Zion. And uh, you know, when you're 285 pounds and you have that type of first step and that type of explosion around the basket, of course, that's what everyone's going to talk about. But he is so much more than a dunker, which is going to become the common refrain, I think, uh, in draft talk as the draft approaches. I actually expect Zion to be the consensus number one by the time uh, draft day comes in June, which right now I would say Barrett is, you know, Barrett started the season as the consensus number one already after one game. It seems like Zion is uh, already nipping at his heels a little bit. But what really stands out to me about Zion is someone who's talked to him a few times. I talked to him last night in the Duke locker room, uh, just the two of us for about a minute or two. Uh, he is so focused, which I think is really just an underrated quality in evaluating young basketball players in general. Uh, I was watching him in warmups last night, and in warmups, he, you know, everyone's sitting there with their cell phones out, like ready to get Zion, throwing down some big dunks. And he did for the first like one or two, he gave the crowd what they wanted. But after that, he was only shooting threes, and he was not making them either. He was. But he was taking, like, really serious attempts. He wasn't just chucking up bullshit. He was, like, <laughs> focused on on his spots on the floor, mostly on the wing or from the corner, taking threes, brought a teammate over, was working on jab steps, had the guy put a hand in his face. He was shooting threes over him. And I watched that entire workout sequence. I was super impressed just because, like, even someone like Reddish, uh, who is a terrific player in his own right and a better shooter than Williamson, like, he was just kind of, like, lollygagging, going through the motions out there. Williamson was so focused, and despite the fact that he couldn't make a jumper in those warm-ups, it ends up, you know, on the second possession of the game, the ball swings over to him for three, and he drains it. So his first college basket ends up being a three. Uh, I think that he just has just so much going for him. It, it just, you know, in terms of uh, what he can bring to a team, I think he would just be such a stabilizing force for anyone, and he's going to be just a really charismatic figure, too. I think he'll be a great leader. He's going to be someone that people just gravitate towards. So... Uh, it sounds you know, great to me. A top two pick to get him. You already saw Steve Kerr earlier today start uh, Ron before he had to stop himself. So he was worried about getting fined. So uh, I mean, Zion was just tremendous. Like if you, he makes rebounds, like highlight real worthy plays. Like I don't want to watch anyone rebound, but I want to watch Zion rebound. He made one play last night where he stuffed, I think it was EJ Montgomery, who's another five-star freshman for Kentucky. He just ripped the ball from him on a block. Like, Zion didn't block the shot. Zion grabbed the ball, <laughs> raced down court, threw a nice little bounce pass to Barrett for the bucket. So, uh, just a terrific prospect, terrific player. And the Bulls really, really need a top two pick in this draft. But you basically say that about anyone. I mean, Cleveland needs him. Yeah. The Hawks need him. The I mean, the Suns have gotten enough young guys at this point where I feel like we they, can't remember the Suns. Cleveland's got the number one overall pick like three years. They got three out of four years at one stretch. Please do not let Zion go to Cleveland. We can't have that. Yeah, screw that. I mean, and the thing with the Bulls, it just seems like getting one of those dudes like that, I feel like we just could make them actually like legitimately a good team. Like if you have whatever, Zion or Barrett plus Levine, Lowry, Wendell, and we'll see about Chris Dunn, but like, I feel like the Bulls would be right there. It's like just a big time team of the future. They could, and they have a few other decent parts. If Dunn is actually good, or if they can find a legitimate point guard somewhere else, like the Bulls would be cooking with that. But it's, I just don't, I just don't think they're going to be quite bad enough, unless maybe there's another the, the injury thing just keeps taking their toll. And if they lose enough games, the, the schedule does get pretty brutal coming up. And if they get behind the eight ball enough with some of these injuries. And if there are possibly more injuries, maybe they just go into tank mode again because it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Like, I would like to see the Bulls take a clear step forward in development, but I think we're kind of already seeing that Levine is a good scorer. We're already seeing good stuff from Wendell. So, like, if they did tank, like, I'm not, like, full-blown tank mode yet, but I feel like if they do, I'm that's totally fine because if they get one of these Duke guys, like, they could be really a really really fun team next season. I, I totally disagree with you. I don't want the Bulls to win another game this season. They, they <laughs> absolutely need to get one of these guys. And That's fair. That's fair. I, I totally I totally understand it. Because if you think about it, like last time the Bulls were good, it was the same thing. Like they got Dang at seven. They got Gordon at three. So he was a real high pick, but Noah at nine. nine yeah. uh, like, you know, the majority of that team was built around that one point. And then what was sort of the, the thing that took them towards contention was winning the lottery with the 1.8% odds and getting D-Rose. So uh, I guess that's what elevated the Bulls to an Eastern Conference Finals team. You wonder, like, 
if the Bulls get the eighth pick in that draft, and I don't even remember who the eighth pick in that draft was. I think, I think they were slotted in at eight or nine. It would, be, it would have been like DJ Augustine. I, I know I've looked this up before. Like they would have been in basketball hell if they drafted DJ Augustine, who, who had some nice moments for the Bulls later in his career, but like obviously like journeyman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this this draft is so top heavy, dude. Like they need Barrett, Radish, or Williamson, or Little, and really they need. I, I want one of those three Duke guys. Uh, I mean, Little could still be great too. I, I haven't seen enough of him. He's been like a late riser in the high school circuit. Like he was someone who went from like you know uh, a good four star to a fringe five star to like number two basically overnight by the end of his senior year because he just kept killing it uh, in the All Star Game circuit. So I'm interested to watch him, but I really love all those Duke guys, and they would be a great fit for the Bulls. Uh, and then, you know, just to pull back the curtain a little bit there, too, uh, this current high school class, the current high school seniors, is by far the weakest class I have ever scouted uh, since I've been doing this for SB Nation. I recently published a list of the nine best long-term NBA prospects in high school basketball, and there was only one guy from the senior class. That's Jaden McDaniels, who's a big wing out of uh, out of Washington. Even I'm not super high on him. I had him nine on a nine-person list. He reminds me a little bit of like a Brandon Ingram type. He's very long, very skinny, late bloomer, just sort of realizing how good he could maybe be one day, but he has a long way to go too. So the 2020 NBA draft, I'm going to say that that'll be the worst draft since 2000. So, I mean, you got to make it count this year. And if you get the fifth pick or the sixth pick or the seventh pick this year, it's not good enough. The last two years, it has been good enough because those have been deep drafts. This one is not a deep draft. There's a couple studs at the top and, uh, you know, this could really determine what the Bulls look like over the next 10 fucking years, man. If you think about it, like our lives are going to be changed as fans <laughs> substantially if they get Barrett Williamson or Reddish or if they end up with like the seventh pick and get Quentin Grimes. Like it's just going to be a massive difference. And uh, there's a lot of teams in that boat this year. And the fact that 2020 looks so shitty only adds to uh, only adds to the pressure. Now, 2021 does look really good. 2022 could be good as well. But at this point, think, like, are we going to think, think about high like, draft picks? Yeah. I don't want to think about high draft picks in 2022 because if the Bulls are still shitty, that's shitty then. That's bad news. Um, it happened to the Magic. After oh, they I know. I mean, it absolutely could. I mean, the Kings have been shitty for years. They're yeah. maybe t- possibly okay now, but, like, them, the Magic have been fucking terrible for years. Like, it absolutely could happen. Like, uh, not saying it couldn't like these the bulls could easily as like promising to some of these guys look they can easily not totally all mesh together and it just never comes together and the bulls end up in the lottery year after year after year i'm just i'm just hoping that's not the case that at least that far down the road yeah but you know we don't need to start that doom and gloom yet i actually right, yeah. I guess if we are talking about this lottery we do we would like to remind that the odds have been flattened a bit right. So if you're looking at the t- you're looking at the top three, the top three teams in the lottery or top the three worst teams of a fourteen percent chance all equal fourteen percent chance to get the number one pick. Even at number four, which is where the Bulls are slotted right now, it's twelve point five percent. Fifth team nine point eight percent. Six is nine point seven. Even if you get all the way down to like eight or nine, you're at like five percent. So that obviously the you don't necessarily want to be down there because that's you can't rely on another 1.8% luck bullshit like that again. But like, even if the bulls maybe finish fifth or sixth or seventh again, there is a little bit of a better chance there. And again, and if they finish in the top, those odds are odds are uh, basically even with those top three teams. So that, that will make this even more, this, the tank race even more interesting. So the, to have these, have these evened out odds and to have these Duke guys at the top when it's in such a top heavy draft, there's going to be, I feel like, some serious tanking maneuvering going on this year as the year goes on. Yeah, that's definitely going to be true of the whole league. And uh, from the Bulls' perspective, I sort of hope they can put themselves in a big enough hole now because when Dunn and marketing come back especially, uh, they're, they're just going to be a better team, especially yeah. against some of these Eastern weaker sure. teams. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap I, this one up? I think that's about it for today. Let's go over the upcoming schedule yeah. really quick. Uh, just... What the Bulls have, what the Bulls are looking at they next. Win. They got a win coming up next. They got two days off, and then they got the Cavs on Saturday. Cavs are one and ten, an absolute shit show of a team. They're absolute garbage. But then after the that, Cavs on Monday, I want to go to that game. Let's go and watch Luca. Should this be Cash Considerations listener listening party? <laughs> Maybe Luka. not. Yeah, we're gonna do that eventually, though. Yeah, 
Absolutely. We can get on uh, iTunes first before we can start throwing listening. Yeah, I know. And, we're, we're, and which, I guess, update on that, we will be on iTunes hopefully soon. We are on Stitcher now and Google Play. We should be on Spotify and iTunes hopefully very soon. It, it is uh, in the works, so that should be happening soon. But yeah. So, yeah, so I guess next couple games, they got big chances at wins, and then it gets, and it gets brutal. Yeah, so they go home against Cleveland and Dallas, and then on the road for Boston, Milwaukee, home against Toronto. That's that's brutal. That's, that's a brutal stretch. Uh, we'll probably we'll probably do a podcast after that to recap those, and then you know they got Phoenix on Wednesday, Miami on Friday, uh, the day after Thanksgiving. So, yeah, not it's not going to be good for the Bulls here. But you know, Cleveland and Dallas, that those could potentially those be two wins. So. Two home games against shitty teams. I would not be surprised if the Bulls won both of those games. Yeah, and and not. that's. And that's the kind of thing when we talk about tanking. Like I feel like the Bulls are just good enough compared to some of these other crappy teams, and especially at home, they've been they've been playing pretty tough. I mean, they even hung hung tough with the Pelicans today and uh, won a game on the road against other shitty teams. So I feel like they're just going to be that just slightly good enough. And Levine is like a good enough scorer, where and Wendell has been so good, where they're just going to be a little better than some of these other garbage ass teams. Totally. All right. Well, uh, until next time. I'm Ricky. That's Jason. Thanks for listening to Catch Considerations, the Bulls podcast. See you. Later. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.